1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: Do you like this show and you want to help support us? Do you want us to stay ad-free? Do you want extra episodes every month? Of course you do. Well, then head over to patreon.com slash retro and become a Patreon supporter of this very show. Programs And welcome back to another edition of the Nerd Cave Retro Show. My name is Jason Robbins.
1: And my name is Derek Diamond.
2: Ooh, and we're recording on another Sunday morning. It's, it's weird to record with the, the sun still shining outside and it's a fresh new day. I've got a nice big cup of coffee in front of me. How are you, Mr. Derek?
1: Not too bad, actually. I've gotten to catch up on sleep a little bit. I've had the weekend off. It's crazy to think, but so we're recording this Sunday morning, but when you guys are listening to this, there will be less than twenty blue Wahoos games left in the Wow, which is insane to think about oh and it I'm it not sure like-
2: did I introduce myself? my name is Jason Robbins you did yes, <laughs> okay, <laughs> and you are
1: uh Eric emerald yes
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry it's it, i'm I'm so discombobulated because it's so early in the morning
1: yeah early mornings will do that to you but no it's um it's kind of crazy because the whole season has just kind of flown by i've said this to multiple people over the last week or so but the first half of the season because the season is basically split into halves there's april through mid-june and then mid-june through the end of august the first half always seems to crawl because you're just getting back in the swing of things it's you know, getting reacclimated to the long hours and everything, so it it makes for a very long couple of months. And then the second half, because there's not that many games left, just kind of flies by. But really, the whole season has gone by fairly quickly. So, not not too many left,
2: dude. This whole year has gone by quickly. It's I can't believe it's almost August.
1: I know. We're celebrating my birthday next month. Wow,
2: and and stuff. it's
1: our three year anniversary
2: too, as Mister Tyler Watson pointed out the other day.
1: Yeah, it seems like yesterday that you know you texted me the idea of, hey, do you want to do a podcast about retro gaming? I said absolutely. So
2: here, here we are, 140 no, episodes and three years later. It's
1: crazy. It's to be honest, it's been a fantastic you know three years of doing this. It's something I look forward to every single week that we're able to do it. You know, it's it's something that. I don't really get to talk about with a lot of people, mm-hmm. but having this, you know, is is very much an outlet. So, it's it's been a great three years of podcasting.
2: You see, and that's the thing. Like, people always ask me if I have any hobbies and stuff like that, and I always tell them like, well, I collect retro games, and people get kind of like this this glassed over look on their face <laughs> when you tell them that you're like you you collect retro games and retro game systems. But then I really go into it. and I'm like, well, I do a podcast and. Um really, into like the history of video games and you know like everything about them from the uh you know the the conception of the games the the making of the games, what went into making them or the thought process of making them down to the artwork, the box artwork like it's 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 sort of like vinyl records, you know, like I look at it, it's the same feeling I get from vinyl records, like I collect vinyl records as well. Not as much as I do retro games, but, you know, my brother's a huge uh, music collector, like vinyl records, uh, cassette tapes, things of that nature. Like, we we both get the same kind of joy out of uh, knowing about everything there is to know about this stuff. Um, but still, you know, it's kind of one of those... Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a hobby, but it's just it's definitely just one of those interests I've always had like I love the Nintendo I love the, the 80s video games and everything about it and the fact that you wanted to do this show with me was just like I love doing this show man like I looked forward to it every week
1: well I think in addition to calling it a hobby I would definitely call it a passion oh yeah because you know, I've I've started collecting retro games too when we started doing the show and it's been great getting to revisit you know games that I loved so much as a kid but some have stuck with me like the zelda games mario games and a couple of others but there have been some that you know i haven't played since i was you know nine or ten years old yeah. or even younger so getting to revisit those be able to play old games that i missed out on like say for example earthworm Jim mm-hmm. and other games of that nature that i missed out on it gives me an opportunity to revisit that and You know, I I think it delves into that whole nostalgia thing because when people collect, you know, vinyl records, cassette tapes, like you mentioned, is there's nothing quite like it because I think everyone craves that time of, you know, simplicity when you were younger because you didn't have to worry about paying (laughs) bills. You didn't have to, you know, worry about going to work, having a job and things like that. You just you had your time to whether it was play video games or sit around and listen to old records mm-hmm. watch old movies things like that you know i think people just crave that that simpler time and and
2: another thing about it as well is you know a lot of these games <clears throat> that there's the only way to play them is to go find the old uh, you know old uh, cartridges to to play on like they're I I know we've talked about this before, but I'm very passionate about we need to have some sort of online library. for, and, and I think any game over, you know, that's not available to purchase in stores or, you know, through legitimate means. Like, if Nintendo's not going to put all these games on some sort of service, which they should be doing for the Switch... There needs to be some sort of online retro gaming library to, to keep these games alive because they are art. That's what they are. They are art and they need to be preserved and need to be treated with a little bit more, I don't know, a little more reverence, a little more respect.
1: No, I agree 100%. And if anybody's going to do it it's Nintendo. It has and they to, uh, definitely should.
2: And they should, especially even even you know all these games and companies that that have licensed products like the fact that there's never been like Aliens versus Predator put on an actual legitimate system or that you know the uh, the old arcade game like games like that like The Simpsons video game, uh, the X-Men Um, arcade game like those games never came out on any sort of home system they were strictly for the arcades and you know those licenses have run out and even though they are an intellectual property they still need to be preserved and able to be accessed by people to be able to play and I think there need there has to be some sort of copyright trademark uh I don't know, this is for better minds than me, lawyers to come up with, but I think after a certain point, there needs to just be a way for these things to be accessed, and and you know, I, I understand intellectual property rights and all that stuff, but at a certain point, it's a part of history.
1: No, I I couldn't have put it better myself.
2: But, uh, but I don't know about you, I'm kind of ready to go into the news for this week. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it, if I can find my button. There we go. Uh, As we mentioned earlier, Tyler Watson, he shot me this news story the other day. Uh, The TurboGrafx-16 mini pre-orders now live. uh, Release date and full games list on IGN.com. Let's see. The 26 of the PC Engine titles... Uh let's see. Uh Turbo's Graphics 16 has a release date of March 19th, 2020. Uh additionally, Konami revealed the full list of games coming to the system, 26 of which are PC Engine titles in their original Japanese language. Uh the full English language games coming are Alien Crush, Victory Run, uh let's see, R-type, blah, blah, blah. Um, Space Harrier, Chu Man Fu, Bonk's Revenge. Uh, New Adventure Island, Bomberman Ninety Three, uh, a bunch of um, Japanese games too, like Gradius, Gradius Two. Uh, man, there's a lot of games on here. So uh, it goes live on Amazon Prime Day, which was the other day. Um, it does not include an AC adapter. You need to buy that separately. Now that's pretty stupid. <laughs> yeah,
1: I was thinking about that when I was reading this. I'm like, why? Why would you not include well, a basic yeah. thing like the AC adapter?
2: It's going to be ninety nine ninety nine dollars in the U S, uh, making it one of the more expensive mini consoles. Uh, says that didn't work out too well for the PlayStation Classic, which also issued its AC adapter and was on sale recently for twenty five bucks. Yeah, that's kind of stupid to not have the AC adapter in there. Like, what are they that, thinking?
1: That, and I think it's a little too pricey.
2: Yeah, I think uh, seventy five would have been the sweet spot right there.
1: Yeah. I, I just, I'm interested in purchasing one somewhere down the line. I don't think I'll get it as soon as it comes out. But I mean, it'd be something that I'd be interested in trying because that was a generation of gaming that I missed out on for the most part. Yeah, you know, I've same never played here. any of the TurboGrafx games, but, but I, also, I would be interested in
2: it. There, uh, go ahead. There, there are games on here that are missing that I wanted to be on here that kind of make me not want it now. What's missing? Uh, Let's see. Well, Splatterhouse is not on here. Uh, The original Bonk's Adventure is not on here. Um, What were some of the other games I was trying to remember the other day? Uh, I can't remember some of the other games I was thinking of, but there's about three or four more games that i wanted to be on here that were pretty big TurboGrafx-16 titles back in the day that are just not on here.
1: Well hopefully it doesn't go the way of the PlayStation Classic. I hope not. I think they
2: uh I think they priced it a little bit too high for my taste.
1: Yeah, I agree with you in the sense that I think 70 to 75 would have been the right amount for it. I just yeah. think a hundred is is a little too much.
0: Yeah. Especially I for it.
1: one that you know, I know the I'm sure the turbo graphics had its its following back in the day, but You know, when I think of retro gaming, it's not the first thing that I think of. So I don't know if it's going to have the same demand as like the NES or SNES Classic did.
2: Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, But definitely if if people that were fans of side-scrolling shooters, um, this was definitely one of the better consoles to to have shooters on. So, um, I mean, that's, like I said, like Gradius is on here, Gradius 2. Ooh, Ninja Gaiden's on here. I don't think I ever saw the TurboGrafx version of Ninja Gaiden. But yeah, if you're a fan of shooters, this is definitely, you'll you'll definitely want to pick this up, but I honestly, I would wait until the price comes down.
1: Which I think it will. I think it has to. Our next story comes to us from thegamer.com. GameStop tries to stay relevant by focusing on retro gaming redesign. GameStop recently announced plans to redesign many of its store locations and implement a retro gaming design, local e-leagues, with the possibility of trying new games before they're purchased. By partnering with marketing company RGA, the store hopes to reinvent itself as an immersive communal experience in the wake of years of financial struggle caused by the rising popularity of digital downloads and online sales. So basically, long story short, is they're looking at revitalizing their brand as being somewhere that gamers can (laughs) go to play games rather than just selling them yeah which i think in in theory it's a good idea because Mm -hmm. gamestop's model and people have been saying it for years and one of the biggest complaints with gamestop is that if you try to trade a game in yeah they give you next to nothing for it and that turns people off and Mm -hmm. i agree in the sense that so many more people download games now I mean I've gotten to the point where I do that like when I got Smash Brothers and you know the last couple of games that I've got for the Switch I've just downloaded because it's easier I don't have to go out somewhere you know I'll have to get in my car I don't have to Mm -hmm. fight through traffic to go buy a game I can just purchase it on my Switch wait you know for it to finish downloading and then start well it's I, I think in theory it's a good idea
2: It's a good idea, and I'll admit, um, you know, I've never been quiet about my dislike for GameStop over the last few years. I actually stopped going to GameStop because going there was so uncomfortable. Like, you walk in the door, and you just get accosted. You know, it's like, oh, hey, how you doing today? You want to put $5 down on this? What are you looking for? Blah, blah, blah. What are you looking for? Blah, blah, blah. I'm just like, please leave me alone. Like, I just got here. And that was, like, every time I went in there. So I just stopped going there. Um, until recently when I bought Resident Evil 2 and I went into the one that's really close to my apartment here and I actually had a nice experience while I was in there and they actually did talk me into doing the, uh, what do they call it? The pro player thing, the, the GameStop pro player, uh, whatever they call it.
1: (laughs) Oh, like their, their monthly membership.
2: Yeah. And, um, Signed up for a year, it was like 12 bucks, and uh, of course, I got a subscription to Game Informer and all that stuff. And um, it's actually been a, w- a wise purchase for me. Like, I have actually went in there and gotten games for relatively cheap the last couple of months. Um, went and got uh, um, what was the last game I bought? Um, let's see, I got Resident Evil 2, then I got oh, yeah, then I got re- uh, Red Dead Redemption, got those for relatively cheap. Um, you get the pro player discount, but then the other day I went in there just to go go see what they had, and they were running a summer sale. and man, they had really good prices on some stuff. And I ended up getting three PlayStation four games for fifteen bucks. Um, oh, actually, wow. it was like it was like thirteen with the 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 pro player discount, which is like a ten percent discount. but I, I ended up getting Mass Effect Andromeda. Uncharted 4 and Mad Max for the PS4 for 15 bucks basically. So it's actually... I've had a pleasant GameStop experience the last couple of months, so maybe they're really trying to to get people back in there.
1: It sounds like it. Luckily, I haven't had too many bad experiences. The one that's in the mall near my house... Those who work there have never been too pushy, and there's another one in town where they are, so I just avoid that one. But no, I haven't been in a GameStop in probably two months. Yeah, so maybe I should, uh, maybe I should change that. Yeah, go check
2: it out, and um, if especially if you're during right, if I were you, I would go right now while their summer sale is going on because they had some. Uh, I was tempted to to get um, what's that Mario and Rabbids game? Mm-hmm. And you know that Nintendo notoriously does not like to discount their games at all, ever. No, they do not. <laughs> and they had that game, the Mario uh, Rabbids game, for like $19, down from 59 That's crazy. And I was so tempted to get it, but I was like, no, I'm just going to get these. I've been wanting to play the Mad Max game, so I went. I went in and got those three PlayStation 4 games. But like I said, I've been having a pleasant time going to GameStop lately, so I really... I really hope they are trying.
1: Well, yeah, because I remember you know, when I was younger, GameStop was the place to go. Yeah, to get games. Yeah, I've I've got so many fond memories of midnight releases of the Halo games. You know, waiting out in line to get Halo Reach and get you know Skyrim when it came out. So uh, hopefully they're they're trying to, you know, reacclimate themselves and become more relevant again.
2: Yeah. Um, And for our last story tonight, um, the Nintendo Switch Lite's D-pad might be its best part. This is from uh, ComicBook.com. Nintendo Switch Lite boasts a couple of interesting features that might sway one to buy the handheld console either as their first Switch or a replacement for the base version. It's smaller and easily portable by design, costless, and is easier to keep up with without having to worry about losing and replacing Joy-Cons. Perhaps one of its best features, though, is a control layout change that's already caught the attention of Nintendo fans. The addition of a real, honest-to-goodness D-pad. And this has actually been one of our, I think, me and you both, um, this was always one of my first complaints, and really only complaint about the Switch was the lack of a real D-pad on it. That little D-pad, or what it passes as a d-pad is not very good on the actual switch which is why i like to play i always use my pro controller like i never use the joy cons anymore unless i'm using it um portably
1: it's funny you mentioned the d-pad because i downloaded the tetris 99 game Mm
2: -hmm.
1: i've actually become pretty addicted to it but you have to use the d-pad to move the the pieces around yeah and it was the first time in a while that made me realize, wow, this D-pad isn't very good. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully this leads to them, you know, for those who aren't going to get the Switch Lite, maybe they'll do a revised Joy-Con yeah. that has the new D-pad on it. Yeah. Which I think would be a good idea.
2: I think so too. And, um, you know, everybody was kind of screaming about the, the Nintendo Switch Lite last week about, you know, it doesn't hook up to the TV, like Who? I don't want this and stuff, and this is already people who already have a switch, and I'm like, well, this is not you? this is not for you <laughs> you know there there's a whole other group of gamers who really don't are just need it portably, don't want to play it on their t v That's fine, that's who this is for. like I wouldn't mind actually having one of these, but I'm not going to drop another two hundred bucks.
1: no. No, I, it's a good idea for those who do not have a Switch currently. And if you're not worried about, you know, the TV hookup, if you just want to have something on the go. Yeah. Then it, I think it's a great purchase, but I'm not going to go out and buy one to replace the Switch that I currently have. Yeah. I dig
2: the colors for them, though. Like, I would love to have that lemon yellow one. Like, that's pretty sweet looking.
1: Yeah. No, I totally agree. But uh, that does it for the news
2: this week. What do you say we move into uh, this month in video game history?
1: Yeah. In July of
2: 1982, Timex Sinclair releases a modified ZX-81 in the U.S. as the TS-1000. It's the first sub one hundred dollar home computer.
1: I'm ah, sure TS, it's not a Terminator.
2: That's what I was gonna say. Ah, the TS one thousand. Robert Patrick played him perfectly in Terminator two. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: whenever we finish with everything, we should do some Comic Con chat because I've I've got some thoughts on that Terminator trailer.
2: Oh yes, okay, yes, yeah. Let's not forget. <laughs> we'll do it yes, as soon as we're I've, done with the review.
1: Yeah, I've I've taken a note. No, this looks like, um, what were those things called? Uh, Um, Speak and Spell? (laughs) Yes, that's exactly what it looks like. Yeah. Makes me think of Mr. Spell from Toy Story. Yeah. Let's see, July 8th of 1983, Infocom releases Planetfall, which becomes one of their top sellers.
2: I do not remember Planetfall. Let's see. Is it Oh, about yeah, 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 planets? yeah, yeah. I, I don't know why I can never, why this game, I never remember this game, but this is the game about the uh, the space janitor.
1: <laughs> I love the art. It's literally a guy in a space suit while holding a mop. Yeah, <laughs> and for
2: some reason, every time we we bring this game up every year, I'm like, I've never heard of this. And like, yes, I have. This is the space janitor game.
1: It should be about falling planets. The yeah. title's very misleading. <laughs>
2: July fifteenth of nineteen eighty three, Sega releases the SG one thousand console in Japan on the same day as the Famicom, and this is actually the. It looks like the um. What do they call this? This Sega. This is the Mark. Which one was this? The Mark Uh, One.
1: Yeah, this was the Mark
2: One. Or no, no. This is actually the Mark III, uh, a third iteration of this console. Was the Mark III like this? Um, I got to go back and really get better at my Sega history because all these Mark, Mark, different Mark, one, two, and three original consoles for Sega was kind of confusing.
1: Yeah, not to mention the controller looks hideous. Oh,
2: yeah, I hate that controller. Ugh, I hated those controls, especially like the Atari, what was it, the 5200 had a controller like this? It looks like a walkie-talkie with a stick hanging out of it. Yeah. Ugh. Over. Gross. July 15th,
1: 1983, Nintendo releases the Family Computer, a.k.a. Famicom console in Japan. Shortly after its release, complaints begin to surface about rampant system instability, prompting Nintendo to issue a product recall and to re-release the machine with a new motherboard. It would later be released worldwide as the Nintendo Entertainment System, or as I like to call it, the NES.
2: The NES. I gotta get my hands on an actual Famicom console, uh, Japanese Famicom, because, I don't know, They just. It, I think it would be a nice addition to the collection.
1: The controllers, to me, for some reason, I think of cassette tapes. Yeah, when I look at them,
2: and it's weird because the the main con- is it the main controller or the second controller that actually has a, a microphone in it. And there were games for the Famicom that actually utilize voice commands, and that's weird to me. Like I would actually like to try that out, <clears throat> and I can't remember what game it is. Isn't it? Wasn't it Zelda 2 or something like that, where you actually had to speak into the second controller to get past uh, the Japanese version of the game? There's a a level or something. I can't remember. Something like that. I think you're right. But I have to look It's that interesting
1: up. because it looks like the controller, like the cords run into the back of the console. Yeah, they
2: do. <laughs> and it, they're not like they're not unpluggable like the the american version of the nes they're actually hardwired into the machine but they're in the back of the machine and the uh, the the cords are only like 3 or 4 feet long which is it's, ugh, that's so stupid
1: it's funny you mentioned that because you know we didn't do a show last week but um not this past weekend but the one before uh, we had 80s night out at the, the stadium. Oh, yeah. And we figured out we figured out a way to hook up my NES Classic to our video board. So we had like 10 people up in our press box that were wanting to play Nintendo. And I forgot how <laughs> short those controllers were. So people just kept knocking it off the table and onto the ground. I'm like, oh, jeez, guys, don't break my stuff.
2: <laughs> but you got, you got to think, too, um, you know, homes in Japan are smaller than homes in America, like especially like... You know where there would be like a living area where the TV would be. Homes are just way smaller in Japan than they are in America, so we we needed the the big long cords over here because, especially with parents, when I was a kid, they wouldn't let me sit too close to the TV, like you gotta ruin your eyes.
1: Maybe that's why my vision went bad. Maybe I oh, used to sit too close too. Yeah.
2: I think I was just a kid thing. <laughs> uh, July eighty six, Namco re- releases the Return of Ishtar, which is a sequel to the Tower of Druaga.
1: The Return of Ishtar. I wonder we if we talked there, about this before.
2: I wonder if this was a uh, based on the movie Ishtar. Nope.
1: Was that an anime or was no, it like a live it was, action movie? Uh, it was
2: a live action movie. It's actually um, oh. <clears throat> considered one of the worst movies ever made.
1: Worse than Super Mario Brothers?
2: Uh, I I don't know. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) It had uh, Dustin Hoffman and um, who else was in that movie? I don't remember. It was Dustin Hoffman and somebody else. That one
1: guy? Yeah, that one guy was in that movie. (laughs) (laughs) I do like the cover art, though. Yeah, it's not bad. It's definitely got that, that 80s animation feel to it. Oh, yeah. Also in July of 1986, 10 years after Atari's breakout, Taito releases Arachnoid, which adds power-ups and unique levels and generally reinvigorates the concept.
2: Is it Arachnoid no, or Arachnoid? No, it's Arkanoid.
1: Arkanoid. Arkanoid. yeah. My, my dyslexia is kicking in.
2: <laughs> I remember this game. Didn't this come with a, uh, a separate controller for the home releases? I think so.
1: I have no idea.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The Looks NES cold, port. Though. The NES port was packaged with a custom controller. Yeah, it's it's got a little. Um, so is this kind of like Pong? Y- yeah, pretty much. Um, if you've ever played, um, sort of like uh, Bust a Move or anything like that, it's sort of that same sort of play style.
1: It's very colorful. I do like that about it.
2: Oh yeah. I bet these controllers are hard to find. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work.
0: Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live.
2: Mm, let's see. I was trying to just see how many were actually made, but it doesn't say. I can't. I can't imagine there are too many that were actually. Uh, I'm sure they're really hard to find. <clears throat> those little controllers. But um. But I digress. Um. Let's see. Uh. July nineteenth of nineteen ninety one. Square releases Final Fantasy four in Japan. Uh, of course they did the first final fantasy game for the super famicom released in november as final fantasy 2 in north america really
1: <laughs> this is what we've been saying for years good god now even though i will say i did enjoy final fantasy 3 i will not defend the the name changing and the confusion and no. all that cuz it's like oh we're talking about 4 but it's really 2 and i'm not going to learn six, it either. but it's really 1
2: yeah I'm not going to learn it either. And, and uh, Tyler or, or Brandon, you guys who normally write in, no, I, I don't care. I'm not going to learn it. I, I refuse. <laughs> not going to play it. Just just stop.
1: <laughs> uh, ignorance is bliss. Yes. I love it. And to close us out for this month in video game history, July of 1991, Atari updates their Lynx handheld system with a smaller form factor, better screen, and longer battery life.
2: Oh, hey, kitty, kitty. We stopped meowing outside now. (laughs) I remember the Lynx. Do you remember the commercials for the Lynx? One of them actually had... I think the very first commercial for the Lynx actually had uh, Tommy Maguire. It was one of his very first acting jobs. Really? Yeah.
1: Interesting. No, I don't really remember the Lynx that much.
2: It was actually a cool-looking console, and it had great graphics on it, but, man, this thing was like... Uh, yeah. The introductory price was one hundred and seventy nine ninety nine, and this was in nineteen eighty nine.
1: Which I can in, imagine what that would be now.
2: And eighty nine numbers? I, that's got to be at least three four hundred bucks. Oh, for
1: sure. For a handheld
2: <laughs> console, I mean, hell, the the Game Boy was only like eighty.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, the design of this is kind of interesting because you've got what looks like the speaker on the right side mm-hmm. of it, and then you've got buttons above and below it. And then you've got your D-pad. It looks like it wouldn't be very comfortable to play.
2: Well, the, the thing is, is it's built to be a left-handed and right-handed con, um, console. Like you could switch it upside down if you were left-handed.
1: Oh, that's what—that's why, that's cool, why it's
2: designed like that. Okay, so it's—it's it's a cool design, um, and they did make a smaller form factor of it. Um, let's see the Links Two. Uh, uh, new packaging slightly improved hardware better battery life and a new sleeker look featured rubber hand grips and a clearer backlit color screen with a power save option Um, it replaced the monorail headphone jack with uh, one wired for stereo Uh, let's see dropped the price to $99 although sales improved Nintendo still dominated the handheld market um, in '95, Atari shifted its focus away from the Lynx and put more focus into the Atari Jaguar. That was a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> we all know how many had oh, those man. sweet ja- uh, Atari Jaguar systems.
1: To tell you how great it is, I've never actually heard of it, or at least I don't remember it.
2: Yeah, it was. I I wouldn't mind actually getting my hands on one of these, but I, I imagine they're. Pretty hard to come by these days.
1: Yeah, they're probably not cheap either.
2: No, not really. <laughs> but uh, but that that's, closes us out for this month of video game history. So Derek, are you ready to do your review this evening?
1: Yeah, let's go to Agrabah.
2: That's some jaunty music.
1: First, I want to say the music in this game is absolutely fantastic. Because it perfectly mixes a lot of the Aladdin songs and gives it that 16-bit vibe to it. Mm-hmm. And it's great. But the music is very, very catchy in this game. So this week, I'm going to be reviewing Disney's Aladdin, which is a 1993 platformer video game developed by Capcom for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Based on the 1992 animated Disney film with the same name, it is a 2D side-scrolling video game in which the players control Aladdin and his monkey, Abu, which it was also released uh, for the Genesis. But there are a couple of differences uh, with that. So I know in the... The um, Genesis version, Aladdin actually uses a sword. Yeah. But in the SNES version, he does not, because your only real weapon is you throw apples to stun enemies. Huh. Which, you know, once once you get used to it, it's really not that bad. But um, this was released, you know, during a time... I remember this game coming out, even though I never played it as a kid. But I remember this game, along with Lion King, with Toy Story, and so many adaptations of shows and movies being released for video games because the 90s was such a hotbed with that kind of stuff because you had Aladdin like I said Lion King and then you had you know all these other movies whether they were live action or animated they all had video game adaptations oh yeah some of them some of them were good some of them were not so good i
2: still look at this era as like the um, almost like the golden age of disney because you had all those great Afternoon Disney shows, uh, you know, like the DuckTales and and uh, Rescue Rangers and <clears throat> all those great shows. And then you had all these great movies like Aladdin and Lion King. I As big as Disney is now, this was kind of like the rise of Disney. Was when Disney came out swinging in the late 80s with uh, Little Mermaid. Like this was it's- the beginning, you know.
1: And it's crazy to think that, you know, Disney's animation goes back to, you know, decades before then. You know, with even going back to the original Steamboat Willie cartoon. Uh-huh. And then you had Snow White that came out in, what, the 40s? Uh, was it the 40s or was it the 30s? It may have even been the 30s. Let me but look, either way, it, it's crazy I'll to look think look that up that, real quick. Okay. But it's crazy to think that from then up until the 90s, when you had all these other you know, shows and movies coming out that it was almost like a renaissance of Disney because that was when I was first introduced to it. It was by seeing Aladdin, you know, the the old um the Disney afternoon slots with Darkwing Duck, DuckTales, yeah. Goof Troop. And they all had video game there was even a Goof Troop game. <laughs> Oh, it Which was is uh, January 13th,
2: 1938, when Snow White and Seven Dwarfs, one year before um, Wizard of Oz.
1: Wow. I had no idea it was that old. I was thinking I early to mid-40s. That's crazy. But with all those adaptations, you know, some have been regarded as being good, some have not been so good. And I'm not going to lie in saying that I was a little biased with this game because growing up, Aladdin was always my favorite Disney movie. I liked it more than even the Pixar movies like Toy Story when it was so critically acclaimed when it came out. There was always something about Aladdin that drew me in was Mm -hmm. the combination of Robin Williams as the genie because it's one of the greatest Disney characters of all time (laughs) and one of the greatest performances of all time when it comes to voice acting. I still say I would love to see footage of him in the sound booth recording these lines because I guarantee you just watching him is probably (laughs) amazing.
2: I have a confession to make right now. Mm -hmm. I have not seen this movie since the theater. (laughs) Really? Yeah, it's been years since I've seen this movie. Not that I didn't like it, it's just... I don't know. I, I there are other Disney movies that I I prefer like um I don't know like you know like I've seen The Lion King probably 10 times. Um I I I like Beauty and the Beast. I just like the animation style of Beauty and the Beast. Um mm-hmm. the movie itself was I don't tend to watch very much. Um my my absolute favorite Disney movies are I have two that are kind of equal. Like I like um, Sword in the Stone and uh Robin Hood. those are my two favorite Disney movies
1: so funny story about Robin Hood whenever we have uh during Blue Wahoo's games, whenever opposing teams come in and they walk up to the plate or whatever, mm-hmm. we'll play annoying songs uh-huh. or like cheesy pop songs. <laughs> One of the the songs we use is from Robin Hood the doo do doo do Oh, I love I, that song. I I remember our president who's I think probably right around your age actually radioed up to us and he said that was awesome whenever we played it for the first time. <laughs> so it was Sword in the Stone's super underrated too. Oh, that's but,
2: such a good movie.
1: Yeah, it's it's great. I love Archimedes.
2: Yeah. And with that Don Bluth, you know, animation style, like it's just so good.
1: Yeah. It really is. But kind of transitioning back to the Aladdin game, it was released during an era where platformers were really king when it comes to Nintendo, because you also had Mario, and you had a lot of other platformers, too. So this drew me right in, because platforming is still my favorite all-time gaming genre. You know, as, as much as... And Zelda is still my all-time favorite franchise, but... I am a sucker for a good platformer. There's just something about them that just take me back to sitting in my parents' living room mm-hmm. or even my room playing the Super Nintendo and playing Super Mario World specifically. And this fits right in. You know, it's, it's basically the plot line pretty much follows the movie and it doesn't deviate too much from that. It's basically you go through different areas. So level one, for example, as you're going through the streets of Agrabah, you're not running from the the palace guards but you fight several of them and the first level ends with you fighting the the merchant who's about to cut off Jasmine's hand from stealing the apple mm-hmm. so you have to fight him and then you go through like the cave of wonders you have to escape it whenever you know Abu grabs the giant ruby and you even get to ride the carpet through the the cave as it's collapsing and you're trying to you know evade this giant wave of lava which is pretty cool The most fun level to me that I've played in this game was after you release the genie from the lamp, it transitions from a cutscene, which are basically just still frames from the movie with text that you read. You go through this fantasy-type level where everything looks like the genie, and it's with a 16-bit version of Friend Like Me, (laughs) which... I'm not going to lie, like, I was tapping my feet to it the entire time just because <laughs> that song is so great and so catchy. But all in all, it's pretty much like your typical platformer. You know, you know, The only weapons you really have are apples that you can throw at enemies to stun them. It doesn't kill them. You have to just jump on their head and it kills them. Um, you can collect gems, which um, you can do that to gain extra lives and points. Um, there are ten red gems that are located throughout each level, and if you collect all ten, it really boosts your your high score a lot. Mm-hmm. There aren't too many other items that you can collect like there aren't any real power ups or anything. It's just pretty much gems. um if you have if you take damage, you can get like bread or other pieces of meat that you find hidden in pots and whatnot, and that will replenish your health. You find you know one ups throughout the levels and whatnot. But um, a, a cool thing is that um, in every level, or in, I think in most levels that I've you know, experienced, there's a hidden scarab. And if you grab it, once you release it from a treasure chest, then you get to play a bonus game at the end of the level. It's basically like a Wheel of Fortune-style thing, mm-hmm. where depending on where the wheel stops, you get extra lives, um, higher score, things like that. All in all, it's... I don't want to disservice it because I actually do really like the game, but there's really not too much to say about it other than, you know, it follows the plot of the movie. You go through all the iconic, you know, portions of it. You fight Jafar at the end, and that's pretty much it. But I don't think that's a bad thing, though. Yeah. You know, because I because I love that movie so much, I had no problem just reliving it. The only difference is you can control it. Yeah. But all in all, I very, very much enjoyed it. You know, it's and it was pretty highly reviewed too. Electronic Gaming Monthly gave it a 33 out of 40. Uh, Games Master 78%. Mega Fun gave it an 85%. Game Rankings gave the SNES version the uh, a 78%. And it was released for the Game Boy Advance in 2004 and that was given a 65%. The, the Game Boy port didn't get as high of reviews. Um, A.V. Fryman of GameSpy called the port of Disney's Aladdin the most monumentally disappointing of all the ports from SNES to Game Boy. Wow. When, when the Game Boy Advance first came out, they were porting a lot of Super Nintendo games over to it, because I remember Mario World came out for it, the All-Stars version of like Mario Brothers 2, Mario Brothers 3, Link to the Past came out, You know, not too long after. So I I don't remember this coming out for the Game Boy Advance, but it's not surprising. Yeah, but I, I will say out of the out of the movie adaptations that I've played, this has been one of the more enjoyable because they played it safe a little bit by not deviating too much from the plot but like i said i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing if you're looking for something that is just simple fun if you're a a platforming fan i would definitely recommend it and
2: you know i've never played this game but i've always heard good things about it um that this and um the lion king super nintendo game um if, i think you should review that one of these days um but um, but this was back in the heyday of Capcom Disney games, and you couldn't really go wrong with those games. You, of course, you had Ducktales um, and uh, Rescue Rangers and things of that nature, and then you had sort of the, all the 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 Disney movies were being released for the Super Nintendo, and just these platforming games were so like I don't know, just something about the like. The games that were uh, usually based on movies back in the day weren't great at all. Mm -hmm. But you could kind of trust Capcom when it came to the Disney license.
1: Yeah, and Lion King is a game that I definitely want to play because, believe it or not, I missed out on pretty much all of those adaptations. I didn't play Aladdin. I didn't play Lion King. I didn't play Goof Troop. I'm sure there are others that I'm forgetting but I just I just didn't really play any of them. There's no real reason why. Yeah. It's just a genre that I missed out on. But it was fun to go back and and finally play this game and you know, it was good to know that all the good things that I had heard about it were you know, were justified because it's it's a simple fun platformer. And I don't think that's a bad thing at all because, like I said at the beginning, I am a sucker for a good platforming game. Let me uh, so this, do this a was little... A, this was a nice little gem to find.
2: Let me do a little research here on um, eBay just to see how much a SNES cart for Aladdin goes for these days. I'll
1: I got mine the, uh... for, I think, fifteen. But it's also in really good condition. Mm,
2: yeah, it looks like it's going to run somewhere. I think the average price is about seventeen bucks. And um, also has like you like you mentioned, there was the Sega version.
1: Yeah, I felt like that was pretty commonplace with these. Is that you would have it? You could get it either for the Genesis or for the SNES. Uh, yeah, you
2: can get one here that actually has comes with the box for eleven bucks. Buy it now. The so, SNES version? Uh, no, uh, Sega version. Oh, uh, okay. And this one was actually... Um, uh, I think it was developed by Capcom, but it was actually released on the Genesis by Virgin Virgin Games. Mm-hmm. And um, that was pretty much, I think, the only difference between the games was the Genesis version, he had his sword, and Super Nintendo was throwing apples.
1: Yeah. Which is, you know, Nintendo... I won't say dumbed down, but they took a lot of the, like, potential violence out of animated games like that. Because, I mean, I remember the whole debate with, you know, Mortal Kombat.
2: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, Sega was always a little bit, looked at a little bit more as the more adult console. So, that was always kind of a lot of the differences between some of the um, games that were put out for the Genesis and the Super Nintendo a lot of the violence was turned down for the Super Nintendo, so if you want to kind of get the more violent version of some of these games, um definitely go more Genesis version.
1: yeah, but as far as my score for this game, I'd probably give it a solid seven and a half that's nice yeah you know, it's it, it's a it's a good you know solid platforming game I think my only I do have two complaints for it, and that this will be what I close it out with. I do wish there was a little more to do with it as far as, you know, collectibles or even some power-ups. Yeah. And the second, I'll just simply say password system. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Gross. I saw that in the main menu, and I'm like, ah, crap. Ugh. That, makes, go that makes my
2: skin crawl whenever, you, whenever we, I hear the word password system.
1: This game came out in 93. I know. We could save the cartridges in 85 or 86 with Zelda.
2: Yeah. Why? I, I don't know. It, it's That's a question for the ages.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But uh, definitely, I think if you're a collector of Super Nintendo games, I think Aladdin is a very worthy addition to it. Awesome. So I give it my my endorsement.
2: So uh, now that we are done with Derek's review, Derek wanted to bring up a few things. Um, there were definitely some bombs dropped by the Marvel Cinematic, um, Marvel Studios yesterday at um, uh, Comic-Cons going on this weekend. And what do you think about some of the, the, man, some of the Phase 4 movies that are coming out?
1: I'm so stoked for Blade. Oh,
2: Mahershala Ali as Blade? Yes. Dude, that is... A-
1: great choice
2: you that is the most perfect casting i've ever
1: seen in my life because he was the best part of you know that season of luke cage
2: so a friend of mine actually came up with a good point was it who was i talking to last night I, i thought maybe it was you but it wasn't um wasn't uh talking about are they just going to pretend that uh the netflix shows didn't exist Within the Marvel universe?
1: I mean, that would be my assumption, but it kind of sucks because especially like Daredevil and Jessica Jones, those shows were so good. Yeah,
2: I honestly think they just need to bring Daredevil into the cinematic universe and bring um, Vincent D'Onofrio over as the kingpin and bring oh, him if into the him Spider-Man. Like
1: Spider-Man movie, I would melt. No, oh,
2: you and me both, man. Oh, can you imagine that? And the thing
1: is, he wants to do it. He has said he would love to do it. That would be so great.
2: If they don't do that, they are stupid. Especially a Spider-Man Daredevil team-up. Like, that Uh, take away the Fantastic Four uh, X-Men universe. Like, dude, if you just give me the Spider-Man Daredevil team-up against the Kingpin, dude... I am I am a happy boy. Those were always my favorite comics growing up. The Spider-Man Daredevil team ups.
1: Now you're just teasing me at this point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I think you know we all pretty much knew that the Eternals was going to happen. Yeah. Uh, I don't really know that much about them, so I'll have to actually read up on them before the movie comes out. I think the one I'm most excited about, other than Blade, would be uh, Thor: Thunder and Love. Yeah. I don't know if you heard about that one. Yes,
2: I did. I'm actually excited about that because, you know, Hemsworth isn't going anywhere. I think they're going to be leaning heavy on Hemsworth coming up in Phase 4 now that we don't have Robert Downey Jr. and uh, Chris Evans anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody's kind of screaming about Natalie Portman being Thor. And I'm like... I think it's going to be something to do with Thor goes missing and she becomes the new God of Thunder and they're going to have to team up with the Guardians of the Galaxy to either rescue or look for Thor. I think it's going to be something like that.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's a smart plan.
2: And I'm also... uh, the, The What If series, the animated series, What If. Like I loved those What If comics when I was a kid.
1: Yeah, I think the first one's going to be Peggy Carter becomes Captain America.
2: Oh, that's so awesome.
1: And then Steve Rogers gets basically an Iron Man-type suit, Hmm. which I I think is is great. And then, you know, you've got the series, you've got Loki, which I think could be really good, one with uh, Scarlet Witch and Vision, and then, honestly, the one I think I'm the most excited about is the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be good. That's going to be gonna a gonna good be
2: really movie. Good. I really with what if? Like I have some of the old what if comic books like um the ones I have or what if the Punisher killed Spider-Man? That would be a good one to do. Um what if Wolverine fought Conan the Barbarian? How awesome would that be?
1: <laughs> oh, that's sick. That's really sick. There there's been a lot of good stuff, you know, even non-Marvel related coming out of Comic-Con. Like I I've I practically melted over the Top Gun trailer. Yeah, that that kind of got me excited. <laughs> well, because Top Gun, like that's a top ten all time favorite movie for me. Really? And I, oh, I love Top Gun so much. I loved it as a kid. I wow. love it now. The thing I like the most about it is that they're not. It seems like they're not shying away from the cheesiness that it needs to be.
2: Oh yeah, just embrace it.
1: Yep. Yeah, you might as well just completely embrace it.
2: Oh yeah that? what you did you see... think of the
1: Terminator, uh, Terminator stuff?
2: Um, well, before we go into that, I do want to ask you, did you see the Picard trailer?
1: Oh, my God. <sighs> so I'm not a huge Star Trek fan by any means. Oh,
2: I'm such a next-generation nerd.
1: <laughs> but I love the next generation, and when they said that Patrick Stewart was coming back as Picard, I said, I don't care, I'm in. Yes. And the fact that there's some some returning faces one Mm -hmm. that needs some explanation yeah (laughs) because they were blown to smithereens at the end of the last star trek next generation movie Uh which i i have two theories on that i guess we can go ahead and say it so basically brent spiner returns as data at the end of the trailer but i have two theories
2: is he data though or is he lore
1: could be lore My thought was because they teased it at the end of Nemesis whenever Data had moved like a copy of all his memories to B4, which was a less advanced version of Data and lore. And you could see at the end of Nemesis that he was starting to remember it. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a comic that supposedly is in canon with the new Star Trek movies that takes place like in the next generation timeline before Spock goes back in time to the Mm -hmm. Kirk era where Picard is actually communicating with the new captain of the Enterprise, I believe it's F, which is Data. And Hmm. I think what happens is basically Data's programming takes over B4, so it's like he's resurrected in a way.
2: Well, I'm sure it's going to be explained, and this is going to be the thing that gets me to permanently subscribe to CBS All Access.
1: My other theory is that Picard's just on a holodeck.
2: <laughs> no, I think that would be too much of a, a letdown if that happens.
1: Yeah, plus them killing Data off to me was really stupid. Yeah, and I think it was them just trying to recreate that moment from the Wrath of Khan where Spock sacrifices himself to save everyone. Because I remember seeing it in the theater, and as soon as Data put that little teleporter thing on Picard, and I'm like, oh, geez, they're going to kill him off. hmm Why would you do that? He's like my favorite character. Him <laughs> and Worf were my favorites. Ooh, I
2: wonder if uh, um, Michael Dorn's going to make a comeback at some point.
1: Oh, that'd be great. I, I loved his, the development of his character throughout that entire series. Like, to me, it was his and Data's were the most fascinating to me.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, I'd love to see LeVar Burton come back. I'm going to see everybody come back at some point.
1: They got to bring the whole crew back for one episode.
2: Yeah. And um, Jonathan Frakes is doing a lot of the directing of the episodes. So I'm so looking forward to this. Like, this is a uh, man. I cannot be more excited <laughs> for this show.
1: Yeah. Same.
2: But um, uh, yeah, the Terminator trailer. Um I think that because James Cameron <clears throat> is producing and I think because um Tim Miller is directing and it was also revealed that um Edward Furlong is coming back as John Connor I have a lot of faith in this movie.
1: Yeah, the Edward Furlong thing was a surprise because if you notice in everything that's been featured about this movie John Connor has been absent. Yeah. So I wonder if throughout this, you know, it's basically dealing with the fallout of preventing Judgment Day. Like, this is a sequel to Terminator 1 and 2, so basically all the other movies didn't happen. Yeah. According to this timeline. Which I'm fine with. I thought I actually yeah.
2: went back recently and watched um, Terminator uh, Salvation. That's it's actually that a good a movie. movie.
1: It really is a good movie. Three was okay. Salvation, I thought, was pretty good. Genesis was god awful. Yeah. I, I did not like Genesis at all.
2: I liked what they tried to do with it, but I think the worst thing they did was reveal who the bad guy was in the trailer for the movie. It's like, that's your big reveal, and you blew it in the trailer for the movie. Like, why would you do that?
1: Yeah it would have been a great like plot twist to see yeah. it actually happen like that would have gotten some honest like audible gasps yeah from the from the people in the theater my expectation i do think this will be the best terminator movie since terminator 2 will it be as good as the first two i don't know but i'm definitely intrigued especially with you know arnold coming back linda hamilton coming back mm-hmm. edward furlong coming back I think all the pieces are there for it to succeed and I really want it to. Yeah. Whether it does or not, I have no idea. But I I'm, the thing I'm curious the most about is how does John Connor play into it? Because obviously, you know, does this take place after a judgment day? Was judgment day just postponed decades because of the destruction of Cyberdyne? Who knows. There's a lot that they can do with it.
2: Yeah, and I'm wondering if it's going to take place in the 90s. Like, There's going to be a future section, and then they go back in time. Because this is supposed to take place right after T2. At least that's what some of the rumors are. So mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure exactly when the the whole plot of the movie is supposed to take place. I'm really interested, and... I really hope this is good, and I have a lot of faith in it because I love the, um, I really do love the the Deadpool movies, and Tim Miller is a great director. He's been, he's been in Hollywood a long time. um, Doing, you know, uh, Deadpool was really his first big film, and I think he, teaming up with. you know, James Cameron producing, I just, I don't think you can go wrong. I I don't know. I, a lot of people are, I think it's because people are so kind of gun shy because of the past couple of Terminator movies, especially Genesis, but I don't know. I just think with James Cameron returning to produce, I don't think he would want his name on something that's not good. Yeah. I think if it would have turned out to be crap, he would have taken his name off of it, honestly.
1: Yeah. No, I agree. All the pieces are there for it to succeed.
2: Absolutely. And I I love the Terminator franchise. I still watch 1 and 2 pretty regularly. Especially, like, as much as I love Terminator 2, there's still something about the first Terminator that's just... It's so gritty and dark. And like, I love the atmosphere of that movie. Like, you just, I don't, it's so, that movie's so well done. And it amazes me that they did it for basically nothing.
1: Well, I call it the greatest B movie of all time. It is. Because the look of Terminator 1 and 2 are so different. Mm -hmm. And you can tell that there was little to no budget with the first one and the second one had all of the money. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's something about that gritty look of the first one that you know makes it really stand out. I I'm still a fan of 2 more so than I am 1, but I really like both.
2: Yeah. And I still say that Terminator 2 is still one of the greatest. Probably the greatest science fiction movie ever made.
1: It's definitely up there. It's definitely up there. Uh, Have you seen Spider-Man Far From Home yet? I have not. um, Oh man, it's so good. I was supposed
2: to watch it over the 4th of July weekend um, and some things happened, didn't get to go. I was going to go this week, but I ended up getting strep throat on Monday. So I've been housebound for five days because of that. And um, I'm going to try to go maybe tonight if I can, hopefully. Um, So I'll let you know if I do.
1: If you do, let me know what you think, and I won't spoil anything. But the mid-credit scene is easily my favorite that they've ever done. Awesome. And then I saw um, what else did I see? I saw Lion King, uh, Friday, and it was pretty good. My thing with the live-action remakes is that I think the thing I like the most about them is that when they try to do something different, mm-hmm. like that happened with Aladdin, like they really delve more into. Um, the genie, like him as a character, yeah. But with but with Lion King, it was more or less a straight up remake, almost a shot for shot remake. Really? Yeah. And it was still enjoyable, but you know, I didn't feel like I really got anything new out of it than I did from the animated version. Hmm. Well, I'll, I'll take that back. The only thing they delved into Scar's backstory and emotion a little bit, which I thought was good. I'm interested
2: but, to see it, but I think I might just wait for it to come out on home video.
1: It's definitely worth seeing, but it's one of those, if you're not a huge fan of these live-action remakes, it's one that you could probably wait until it comes out you know, to watch. But definitely watch it you know, at some point, because yeah, it's still I'm, enjoyable.
2: I'm not a huge fan of the live-action remakes. Even though this technically isn't live-action, it's still set in a real world. Yeah, you know, so that yeah, yeah it's, I think they need to come up with a new term for that because it's yeah, not I, live I action. It it's not live action. It's not animated because I don't think that the word animated re- applies to it. Because well, it, they
1: used a lot of the same technology they used for Avatar.
2: Yeah, I just they need to come up with a new term for this for this new style of hybrid animation live action thing.
1: Yeah. No, I agree.
2: But um, anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here tonight? Or today, this morning?
1: <laughs> yeah, um, the Parker Syndrome will be premiering on
2: Saturday. Yes, I wish I could make it, but I'm going to be in New Orleans filming for the 48-hour film festival, and I- I'm going to miss it.
1: Well, you definitely got good reason, so no, it's all good. No, it's um, it's going to be this Saturday... Uh, at eight thirty PM at the in the lounge at Blue Wahoo Stadium. So hopefully to have a hope to have a good turnout. Um, I know I'm getting as we record this. I'm getting the final color corrected footage tomorrow, and then in theory I should just be able to lay it over the sound edit, and then I'm gonna do one last little listen through of all the sound and everything to make sure that I didn't screw anything up. Mm-hmm. And then it's uh, it's done. Awesome. It's finally done.
2: <laughs> Feels good, doesn't it?
1: It does. It really does. So then start submitting it to, to festivals, and we'll see what goes from there. And then, you know, still doing, um, I've got a couple of interviews in the can for the return of my podcast, The Derek Diamond Experience, which that will be on Thursday, September 5th. If you want to go ahead and give the show a follow on social media, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at D Diamond Podcast.
2: Fantastic. And uh, like I mentioned, I'll be doing the 48-hour film festival this weekend, so wish me luck with that. And um, I think we're going to be doing our, uh, um, which is better, 80s wrestling or the Attitude Era, so get your emails in before that show. Um, I think that's about it for this week. Um, what do you say we go ahead and walk out the door? Let's do it. If you would like to email us, we're at nerdcaveretro at gmail.com. We are at nerdcaveretro.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at nerdcaveretro. Individually at jfantastic and at derek underscore diamond. We're at Facebook at facebook.com slash nerdcaveretro we also over on Patreon at patreon.com slash NerdCaveRetro. Go throw us a couple of bucks every month for all this content. And if we get back up to that $50 level, we'll start doing our commentary tracks again and extra episodes. So we know you want those. So spread the word. But if you can't give us a buck a month, go leave us a review wherever you listen to the show. So Derek, I'm ready to walk out the door. Tell them what it's all about.
1: May the way of the hero... Lead to the Triforce. Yes.
0: Monkey! Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable.